Well, welcome to Worldview Matters. This is Ross and my cohort, Bob. Bob, glad to be back with you again. Look forward to chatting again. Ross, we've been talking about this theme of when Christians act like jerks. And wow, it's, uh, it's been humbling. It's been, uh, it's been revealing. Hopefully, it's going to be very beneficial as we, as we talk about what can we actually do to elevate the maturity of believers in our culture so that we can be more effective as uh, you know, people who carry a worldview that is the best worldview available today. I tell you what, it reminds me of a lady, a little old lady who was walking out of church ahead of me one day, years ago, Baptist Church. And the preacher, as you know, in many Baptist churches, will at the end of the sermon, as the as the doxology is being played at the end of the benediction, will walk to the back of the church so he can shake hands with all the parishioners as they come out. Well, this little old lady said to him, she grabbed his hand with her right hand, put her left hand over it, leaned up close to him, said, preacher, said, today you quit preaching and went to meddling. In other words, she had, she had gotten in her wheelhouse. Well, that's what's happened to, to, I think, you and I as we've talked about these things over the past three sessions is that we have talked about things that we know in our own lives we need to deal with. Well, and there are things that are inconsistent with our worldview. We have a, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Worldview matters. And I think that we've just got to keep uh, telling each other and telling our listeners that, you know, a Christian theism uh, holds forth uh, a core commitment that Christians will be like Jesus Christ. And when we're not, we fall short of living consistently with our worldview. And we need to address that and be honest about that. And m- m- maybe this particular uh, episode, Ross, we can talk about, you know, what can we do? As What should Christians be doing, actually, to correct some of these inconsistencies in their alignment of their worldview? I think it'd be great. I think we're all looking for solutions. Let's talk about those. If we need to go back and talk about some of the other jerky things we do, we can do that also. But let's uh, let's have at it. Number one would be. Well, I, I think just what we've been talking about. It's to it's to make Christ likeness our objective. I think many times we think you know reading the Bible is our objective or going to church is our objective, uh, and those are important objectives. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody out there to hear that you and I don't think that reading the Bible or sharing our faith or going to church isn't important, but those things are often like time of possession or first downs in a football game. They're important to keep track of, but they don't measure success in the game, and uh, for Christians— the outcome is supposed to be being like Christ. So I think that's the first thing, the first action step that Christians need to hold before themselves is make it their ambition to be like Jesus Christ. I, I think it was Paul, the Apostle Paul who said, we proclaim Christ and we teach and admonish everyone with wisdom that we might present everyone mature, complete, like Jesus is. And many times I think we lose sight of that. Well, we do. And uh, certainly there's clear admonition in Scripture for us, the way that we are to act. And there's clarity um, among uh, many, many verses in most of, most of Scripture, uh, especially in the New Testament. 
So the question is, why don't we do it? Well, yeah, I've got a I've got a slogan here on my desk. I think it was Stephen Covey, Covey who first came up with it, but it says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And and the main thing for Christians is to make it their ambition to be like Jesus Christ. And I know we know that. We we say that to each other. It's like, yeah, 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 I know we're supposed to score touchdowns, but you know, time of possession is really important. Sidebar, I know you know this, Ross. I played college football for a team that at one stretch were 0 and 44. And uh we our time of possession was always more than our opponents because it didn't take them very long at all to score on us. So, <laughs> you know, time of possession, as important as that is, is not the way you keep track of the score. It's touchdowns and extra points and field goals. And believers need to remember Christ's likeness, evidenced by Sermon on the Mount, loving your neighbor, loving God supremely. Those are important things. So I know we've been talking about that, but I think that's the first thing. I think something else believers can do, though, Christians can do, is I think they need to seek to understand what's going on in the culture. I mean, that's really what our show's all about, Ross. My worldview matters. And yet, when I talk to a lot of believers, they don't understand that we live in a postmodern culture. We no longer live in a Christian society. And I think you could probably make an argument that maybe we've never lived in a Christian society. So you can't expect unbelievers to act like believers. But many times we just get all up in arms about that. You know, so, the inter- there are a number of interesting things about what you just said. We have had a debate in this nation on whether we are a Christian nation or not. And you could say on one hand that nations don't go to heaven. People go to heaven. You also could, on the other hand, say that we were our our forefathers, many, most of whom were Christians, were um, theists, and theists, one of the three Christian theists, and— so there is a Christian heritage in our nation. Even in current surveys that are done by Barna, more people say that they are Christians than any other faith. And if I'm not mistaken, more than 50% say that they believe in God. Now, that's not doesn't mean that you're a Christian, but it it does have a leaning to it. So those are interesting things in observing our society today. Um, They are. And yet, you know, there's a terrible irony there also, because even though a predominance of pollsters and poll takers say that they are Christians, and yet you and I have been talking about the fact that probably not in a long time have Christians acted less like Christ than they do today. And so there's this terrible disconnect that's happening. People are claiming to be Christians, followers of Christ, and yet we don't see them evidencing love for their neighbor or concern for the lost uh, or a way to try to connect and show respect for people who disagree with them. So, wow, there's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? Well, there is. And uh, I don't know that it's definitional, but I think it's probably at the heart. Uh, some people would say that they are Christians simply because they, they're they saying, I'm not Jewish or I'm not is a Muslim. Right. 
Right. Uh, so, you know, the statistics are probably inaccurate there. And there's a wide range of uh, belief systems that would occur within those that group that says that they're Christian. So that's, um, you know, liars, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. And that's why right. statistics are things that you can, you can prove almost anything you want to with statistics. Well, I think this action step about about Christians need to understand what's going on in the culture is really more than just a cerebral call to action. I think it's actually that Christians need to get out in the culture and uh, stop being isolationists, stop retreating into their little Christian cultural ghettos in, in the sense that all of their friends and all of their acquaintances are fellow believers. I think that Christians need to find a way to start befriending uh, unbelievers, getting to know them, listening to them, uh, finding out what it is they believe and why they believe that, and and really uh, uh, having some having some skin in the game, basically, in our neighborhoods, finding ways that we can invest ourselves in the lives of other people, other people on the planet, not just other believers. And I think that just goes a long way toward helping us uh, understand from an emotional perspective what's happening in our culture, not just from a cerebral perspective. And Ross, I think that has a great, a great, uh, profound influence in how the culture looks at us if we'll do that. Yeah, I know that as I look at my life and look at your life, I've told people on this show a number of times. Uh, Bob and his wife have been the greatest influence on our our particular area uh, about the way that they live and the way that they actually put into practice what they believe in terms of taking in people from all walks of life into their home and ministering to them and changing lives. I know that I probably am on the other end of that spectrum. I've realized that there are some people within a rock-throwing distance of my own home in my neighborhood whose names I don't even know. And that's uh, that's an ad- a sad admission to make. So, Well, you uh, know, I, th- I think you're being, a, you're, you're being a little hard on yourself, and you are, you're one of the most uh, caring people I know, and your wife is certainly – uh, if anything, more caring than you are. But but I think there's a point here that we need to make. And that is that when Jesus was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And how do I basically show love for my neighbor? The, the, the story that he told in response to that, I think is an incredibly, almost jaw-dropping response. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He, he says that the religious people of that day didn't take the time to help someone who'd been waylaid by bandits, but a Samaritan, and you have to sort of get to understand the cultural context of this. The Samaritans to the Jewish, uh, from a Jewish perspective, the Samaritans were the proverbial outcasts of their culture. Uh, You know, in modern 20th century, 21st century culture, it would be, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here, Ross, probably the equivalent of a gay or a lesbian. I mean, for most believers, the Samaritan was like a gay or lesbian person. It's people that we look at and go, I don't want anything to do with them. And yet Jesus uses the Samaritan as the example 
of someone who really did show love for their neighbor. Now, Jesus was not saying he condoned the Samaritan theology or their lifestyle. He was just showing merely what acts of love are supposed to be like. That person cared for, spent money on, got involved with the life of someone who was in trouble, and many times as much as we need to be. And it's it's really an indictment against our worldview when we don't do that. Well, I, I know that that is true, and I know that I'm probably guilty of uh, much of that myself. So I think you can look at it two ways. Any of those things, do we seek those people out to dis- to talk with them, or do we simply on a passive basis interact with them when we come in contact with them incidentally, or do we do neither? Do we neither seek them out nor engage them when we come in contact with them? I mean, you and I have talked about what is what is our world? It says go out into the world. And what is my world? My world, in my world, I will engage, I will come in contact with some people that you will not. In your world, you will come in contact with some people that I will not. There will be an overlap in our two worlds. But I think that our responsibility is to engage the world that we operate in. Um, and and I'm not saying, and I don't think, maybe you'll correct me here, but I don't think that we have a responsibility to pursue action in every particular uh, walk of life. I had a, a lady tell me w- one time, said, the need is not the call. Well, the need probably is the call for somebody, but the need is not the call for everybody. I believe strongly care and protection for the unborn. I've never marched in a or never had a sit in or marched in one of those in one of the demonstrations. I have not felt that that was my calling to do, but I will support that in many, many other ways. Money, a conversation, um, some sort of action groups, but not one that goes out. I know that sounds kind of far afield, but I guess I'm saying people out there are probably thinking about those things. What is my responsibility? Well, I think you're making a couple of different points, and they're both valid. I think on one hand, there is a sense of ministry calling. There's a sense of, you know, the Lord basically gives each one of us an assignment to work within a particular people group or segment of society. And and certainly not everybody can do everything. For years, you know this, Ross, uh, my wife and I were called to college campuses to work with students uh, in a Christian ministry. And that that's no longer where we spend a great deal of our time. Now it's in a different venue. But but I think that I think there's another element here, and, and this is getting more at what we're talking about as it relates to the topic of this show about Christians being jerks, about Christians not being consistent with their worldview. And, and that is this. It seems like that uh, I would define those as non-contact is I'm not going to have anything to do with anybody who's outside of the Christian subculture. You know, I, I know I've got to order my hamburger from the person at, at Wendy's or some other fast food chain, but I'm not going to actually uh, engage them in any kind of a real conversation. I, I think the second is this incidental contact, and it's where we, we, we have to talk with people, and in the context of that, we do everything we can to try to represent Christ and the gospel to them with a view toward 
communicating truth to them. I think we certainly, all of us, need to be doing that. But I think there's a third kind of contact, and I, I would call it substantial contact. It's where we actually inconvenience ourselves, uh, put ourselves in situations where we're in some way liable or certainly vested. That's what the Samaritan did with the person who was waylaid by robbers. He didn't just pass by. He didn't just pray for that person. He went over to him, doctored his wounds, took him to the hospital, came back and checked on him, spent money against that project, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that seems to be often where Christians, not all Christians, uh, but some Christians don't want to get substantially involved in the everyday relationships around them. We may give money when there's an Oklahoma twister, but, and we may even go up and help with the cleanup, but we won't get involved with the family down the road who's going through a really difficult divorce or who has just lost their job or whose children are having problems. We won't do that in the way that we probably should. And I think that's more and more what the Lord talks about when he says, be in the world, but not of the world. He's not saying don't be involved at all. He's saying don't act like, don't let the worldview of unbelievers be your worldview. Well, let me say to those who don't know Bob personally, but who simply know him by listening to this show, that that he is the person who probably is the best example of doing what he just talked about that I have ever seen, and that is committing emotional energy, money, time, risk, all of those things to to help people in virtually every one of those situations that uh, he just mentioned. I've seen it. I know it's happened over decades, not just over months, but over decades. And that's he and his wife uh, doing the same thing. So, I, And you don't need to respond to that in any way, Bob, because I know what you would say. You would try to diminish that, but it is a fact. And there is a special seat in heaven for you for what you have done. You've been a witness to most people. Moving on. Thank you. Know. That is but I do need to respond to that because, and I appreciate that. I do. I, I, I want to be more like Christ, and I know you do too. And, and, and you and I have, you also have done some of those things. In fact, one thing comes to my remembrance where you and I tried to help a young man who took advantage of our generosity. He took advantage yes. of our uh, benevolence. He did. Yes, that's correct. And, and it, that gets back to the point you made earlier that, you know, we don't always know who the noble poor are or who the people who really want our help are. We don't know that. And many times we will be taken advantage of. But uh, if we're going to err, let's err on the side of being Christ-like as much as we can and not err on the side of being isolationist. So I guess that, that's another thing I, I think I would say, Ross, be like Christ. And Ross, you know, whenever we try to go out and engage the world like Christ did, they're not all going to appreciate what we do. That doesn't mean, though, that we don't have a responsibility to do it. Uh, the Scripture says that Jesus died not just for our sins. 
He's talking about believers there, but he died for the sins of the whole world. And so even people who never trust him, he was still benevolent to them. He was still gracious to them. This is the God who says that he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He shows grace to everybody, and he wants us to do the same thing. And so as believers, I think we need to get involved with the culture so that we can understand it and, uh, and be able to connect with them emotionally and relationally. But I think there's a third thing that we can do, and that is, and we've talked about this before, and that is don't argue with people about the gospel. Instead, gently appeal to them. I think that that's where many times we go off the reservation. We feel like it's up to us to persuade people and convince them. And many times I think it just, it just makes people angry when in reality we just need to give room for God the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, and often we don't do that. Very true. It is, um, it's hard to engage. I think it requires preparation on our part. It requires a number of things. It's taking risk. It's um, uh, being prepared to, 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 say, be humiliated possibly or put down or made fun of or what have you. So we need to be prepared when, we're, when we do that. It does take and, and for it to cost us something, whether it's time, emotional energy, money, a lot of different things it can cost us to get involved. And, and all of those are extensions of love. And, and, and that's ultimately how we connect with people. It's how we connect with each other. It's how we connect with our families. You know, my kids know when I'm motivated to do things out of, for them or with them out of love and when I'm doing it out of duty. They know. They can they figure that out real quick. And, uh, you know, I, I'll never forget one, one of my daughters. Uh, we were having a conversation on the front porch, and she said, Dad, everything you're saying to me, I know it's true, but really, right now, I don't feel like you really care about me. And honestly, wow. at that point, I had to stop and go, you know what? She's right. Yeah. I really don't care about her. I just want to get my point across to her. And I had to back up and go, guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. I'm really not being loving right now. And so I think I think believers know that, and I think unbelievers know when we really care about them. And then even if we misspeak, and we often do, I think that they still want to keep listening to us because they sense that we we care about them. Our heart is for them in a sense. And, and Ross, isn't that the way the Lord loves us? Unconditionally. Absolutely. And uh, so I think that's, that's another thing that I would say. I, I think, and I know our time is almost, almost up, so let me just mention this one. I think it's important if we put a face on the things that we hate about our culture. You know, back last fall or you know, one of our earlier shows, you and I talked about the the the, uh, the tension that existed with within Chick Fil A because of a a conversation that Dan Cathy a, an interview he gave someplace, which by the way I think was taken out of context. Now we go back and look at it, realize that Dan wasn't actually quoted fairly, but the result was that there was a lot of pushback from the homosexual community to Dan and to Chick Fil A. And it would have been real easy, I think, at that point for Dan to just kind of go either go back into his little enclave or to be defensive 
but he didn't do either one of those things. What he did was he went out and put a face on his adversary. He went out and had a conversation with, uh, with Shane Windmeyer, who uh, was the executive director of Campus Pride, a homosexual organization. And Dan and Shane have become friends. They don't agree with each other, but they've become friends. And now when Dan talks about the issues facing the homosexual community, he's got a face that he puts with that. And I just think that's very, very important that we find a way to put a real person behind some of the things that we might disagree with about this culture. And that just forces us to, to love a person, not react to an idea. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And I, of course, there have been follow-up articles about what you just talked about in that particular confrontation. And many will remember that this was last August when that came up with uh, the misquoting of Dan Cathy from Chick-fil-A, two days when people just poured out of the, their homes and went to Chick-fil-A. And they gave all of the uh, profits from that day to various uh, Christian causes throughout um, throughout the world. So they did not keep that extra money that uh, came in because of that situation. They're the, they're the real deal in terms of the way that they act relative to their worldview. They are the real deal. And, and, and really what's really amazing about that is I think in the long run, because of the character and the Christ-likeness of Chick-fil-A, they're going to win a lot of people in the culture who may not agree with their theological stance or their worldview, but they're going to listen more attentively to what Dan and Chick-fil-A and other Christians like them will say because of the kindness and the understanding and the connection that was established. In fact, that's exactly what Shane said. He said, I I disagree with Dan Cathy's, you know, religion, but, Dan Cathy's my friend. Wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty huge. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty telling. I think that's one time when believers, a believer anyway, got it right. And right. if more and more of us can act mature like that, what do you think a difference would make? Ross, you and I have often talked about the fact what difference would it make in America if all the people who claim to be Christians began to act more and more like Jesus Christ? And the answer is, it would have a profound impact on our culture. It would. And it, the, probably a good place to start would be you and me. And I think each listener out there would have to say, if you believe or if these things have struck a responsive chord in your thinking— then join us. We're it, it's a it's us. We're the ones that can make a major difference. But we will do it one at a time. It's it may end up being a collective effort, but really it's one on one with the world that is the world that God puts in our in our way, so That's to right. speak. Well, we have come to a point when. Our 30 minutes is up, so to speak, and this has been, we've had now four great sessions on this, Bob. We had three sessions on why Christians are a jerk or what things that show that Christians are jerks. 
And then we've had a few things here that we can do. We're not exactly sure what we will do at the next show. We may continue this. We may move to another subject. But whatever that is, come back and join us, folks. We'd love to hear what you have to say and any reflections that you have on what we've said or any questions or any challenges to anything we've said. We will be open to either of those or all of those things. Thanks again, Bob, for a great time with you. And Thank I'd you, like Bob. to encourage you. It's ahead, great to have these spirited conversations with you. Absolutely. And I'd like to encourage our listeners to go to other shows on Big Brains Media. Uh, Weather Brains is the base show. It's the one that's been around for years. And then just talking it up, just completed its 100th episode. This is our 33rd episode, I think, or 34th. I can't remember which it is, but it's one of the two. Uh, there is um, uh, Bama Talk, Auburn Unleashed. There is uh, Undone, Redone. And there are a number of other shows that we have on uh, uh, Eavesdrop, which is a, a show for ladies. And we're about to add a number of shows on medical issues so just look forward to that and great to be with you all come back and see us again thanks bob this has been worldview matters brought to you by big brains media to leave feedback for ross or bob visit us at www.bigbrainsmedia.com 